are you modeling your life on? Who are you modeling your life on? Who are the role models that you are allowing to, to shape your own values, your own priorities, your own lifestyle, I guess? Maybe, maybe you've not really thought about that question. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't have any person that I look towards to shape my own life. In fact, I'm independent. I make my own decisions. I look to no one. But of course, such a view is very naive, isn't it? We're all constantly being shaped, either consciously or unconsciously, by people around us. We're constantly... Uh, in our culture, looking at lives, there's an incredible interest out there for magazines and TV shows that sort of, where people gawp at this celebrity culture. People are fascinated to look on the lives of the, of the fabulously wealthy and the supposedly beautiful and the, the pop stars and the sports stars. And, and we learn in minute detail and tedious detail whether a golfer has crashed his car or not. How irrelevant. Why does that matter in the slightest? And yet there's a great fascination, isn't there? And people allow the values of TV dramas and soaps and films to, to in a sense, over time, without even thinking about it, shape values and understandings and perceptions in their, in their own hearts and lives. And actually, if we don't think that we're being shaped by anyone, I think you're in the most dangerous place of all. Because we're all being shaped. Now let me give you a very simple illustration of this. I took a video of... Uh, Nathan, Amy, and Bethany, when they were tiny tots, when we lived in Cardiff before we went to America. And I've got the video, and we pull it out every now and again. It's so cute. Not cute to you. It's cute to me. I'm interested in it. But, you know, as they chat away, they've got these wonderful British little accents with a bit of a Welsh twang. Lovely little Welsh voices. And, and yet, within a year of moving to America, these vowels started becoming a little changed and to my mind twisted but <laughs> we love Americans and, and we love America so I think it's fine now but you know within a short time they began to adopt an American accent American words now why was this because they were constantly surrounded at church and at school with American accents and if you want to fit in if you want to be understood if you want to uh, understand you, you start adopting what you are hearing around you now. Isn't that the case? You've all got sort of a, an interesting accent here, many of you. Sort of a Scottishy accent. Now, why is that? Well, without ever thinking about it, you've, you've taken on the accents of your parents and the people in your school. It's inevitable. Whether intentionally or unconsciously, we are all being shaped by the people around us. And so the only question remains is this, who are we allowing to shape our lives? Now please open up your Bibles to the book of Philippians. And if you're going to use one of the church Bibles, that's page 1179, 1179 in these red Bibles, 1179. That's Philippians chapter 2. And if you're new this morning... We've been studying through this letter as a church. It's written by the Apostle Paul in the first century to a group of Christians in, this, in the city of Philippi. He'd planted a church in that city, and this is to whom the letter was being addressed. 
And uh, if you want to see his main appeal to these partners in the spread of the gospel, uh, it's there in chapter 1, verse 27, on the left-hand column on page 1179, near the top there, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. This has been his big concern for them. Whatever happens, whether he comes to be with them or not, you should conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And then Paul gives specific teaching about what a life worthy of the gospel looks like. And as a, as a church, we've, over the last few weeks, we've seen that it means standing firm with a gospel purpose, which is what's there in, in, in verses 27 to 30, standing firm with a gospel purpose. And then in chapter 2, 1 to 11, being united with a gospel mind, a mind like Christ who humbled himself even to death on the cross and God highly exalted. And then we saw, was it last week? Yes, it was, that we um, should be shining with gospel lives in verses 12 to 18. That's what he's been teaching. But we all know, of course, that we learn best not merely by classroom lessons Uh, using whiteboards and chalkboards, we learn best by seeing it practically in people's lives. At one level, the teaching can be clear up there, but what I need, I need need a model. I, I need some people to know what on earth this looks like. And so Paul turns from uh, the teaching to the church uh, to, to pointing them to two shining examples of gospel Lives, Two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And I think he's holding them up as, as, as shining examples of what he's talking about. So let me read, and you can follow along, verses 19 to 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have, I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not gave me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I believe this passage serves to remind us today, to encourage us today, 
to model our lives upon those who live lives worthy of the gospel. The Philippian church would get this letter from the hands of Epaphroditus himself. Paul uh, was writing the letter, going to give it to Epaphroditus, who's going to return back with the letter. Maybe he would read it out, I don't know, to the church when he got there. And then, and then a little bit after that, Timothy would get there. And Paul was hoping that he would also be uh, able to be freed from prison and maybe get there himself. Uh, they would get in these men real flesh and blood examples of what Paul was talking about in this letter. If you turn over the page to chapter 3, verse 17, you see Paul comes out and says this explicitly in chapter 3, verse 17. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. It's very important. Very important who you model your life on. Very important to, to, to try and look for people who pattern the life of a gospel partner. Because not all people, or even all Christians, or even all leaders, or even all pastors, are good examples to follow. So you should be very careful and discerning as you seek who you're going to emulate. And so I want to give three points this morning to help us think about the sort of people we should be modeling our lives on. Number one, emulate leaders who are other people centered. Emulate leaders who are other people centered. Now that's why Paul has, has planned to send Timothy to them in the near future. Because after visiting with him, he would return to tell Paul the news of how they're getting on as a church. Because he was someone, as it says in verse 20, who, who takes a genuine interest in their welfare. Of all the people who were available to Paul that time, Timothy was the most outstanding helper amongst the bunch. Timothy, it appears, really was not motivated in his life to be in the spotlight uh, he did not engage in ministry in order to achieve his own potential. Paul's experience while in prison was that some in the church uh, that were around him, and he was probably in Rome, some in the church of Rome were actually engaging in ministry while Paul was in prison, preaching Christ even, not so much to promote the cause of Christ, but to promote themselves and put Paul down in some way. But that was not what Timothy was about at all. He was not out to maximize admiration for himself. He was not out there to squeeze praise from others. Instead, he was someone who was other people-centered. He was someone who lived to see others make progress in their faith and in their joy. That's what Timothy was about. And I'm sure you've met people like this, haven't you? It's actually so hard to find out about them. Because all they're doing is asking you questions about how are things going with you, how are things with your family. They're, in a sense, they're constantly interested in, in, in you, and it's very hard to find out what's going on with them. Well, that was Timothy. It's quite easy, isn't it, just to focus in on our own interests, on our own agendas, in our own ministries. But, but Timothy was someone who cared more for the cause of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Well, that's the sort of leader that was needed as an example to the Philippian church. Do you recall back in chapter 2, verse 4? This is Paul's concern for them. Each of you should look 
not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. There in Philippi, there was a danger that some were just myopically looking into their own little area. And Paul says, no, you need to to look out from your own interests and consider the wider interests of the church. And, and you know, look out for Timothy, because Timothy's just like that. Always looking out for others in in their ministry. He's a model of someone who does that. And when we see leaders like that, we would do well to observe them carefully and seek by God's grace to, to follow their example. People who care for others and who live for Jesus Christ. Well, there's the first one. Secondly, we should emulate leaders with a proven track record. I think that's what verse 22 to 27 is about. Emulate leaders with a proven track record. Look at verse 22. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. They knew the sort of man Timothy was. He had a proven track record in the work of the gospel. Now, it seems to me that career choices are rather new in the history of the world. For thousands of years, there was no formal school education. Uh, There was no need for a career advisor. There were very little career options in an agricultural society. Uh, The job your father did, by and large, that was the job you were going to do. And your son, that was the job that he was going to do. Well, that's the picture here between Paul and Timothy in the work of the gospel. Timothy had served as a ministry apprentice with Paul. He'd served an apprenticeship with Paul in the work of the gospel. You can read in the book of Acts how how on Paul's second missionary journey, he gets back to Lystra and he's introduced to this young man, Timothy. Um, Some Aussie friends of mine have this phrase, BWWs, blokes worth watching. And that bloke can include Sheila's too, obviously, but uh, BWW's. And, uh, and was Paul was back in Lystra, he was tapped on the shoulder and said, this Timothy, he's a BWW. He's a bloke worth watching. And Paul invited him to come along with him and, and, become, and became to him a sort of spiritual father to Timothy. Timothy had uh, a godly grandmother and mother. And maybe his father wasn't a believer. I don't know, but Paul became that spiritual father to Timothy. And they traveled together. Wherever Paul went, well, that's where Timothy went as well. Wherever he watched Paul preaching and teaching, he saw the way that he cared for people. He, he watched him love others. He watched him endure suffering. He watched him endure hardship for Christ. And he learned on the job with Paul. And then, really, he became one of Paul's key men, didn't he? Sent to strengthen and encourage other churches. When Paul was in Athens, it says in the book of Thessalonians, he sent Timothy to them with this endorsement. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. And then you read in the book of Corinthians that while Paul is... um, Well, Paul's in Ephesus, he's going to send Timothy to Corinth to do the same there. And later on, clearly, Timothy was sent back to Ephesus to to teach and to lead the congregation there, because that's why we have the letters, 1st and 2nd Timothy. And you see this pattern growing, that ministry apprenticeships are really the way that people learn to be good gospel ministers. Um, 
Theological study has its place. So those guys doing your doctorates at the college right now, that's great. But it won't do everything, will it? Uh, theological study is important, but to, to, to form a real gospel minister, you really need to come alongside an older and uh, more experienced minister, serve alongside people who've served in your ministry area for longer, and listen to their teaching and observe their life. We learn by experience, by and large, don't we? We learn by making mistakes. And uh, those mistakes can be a little less painful if we're an older and wiser person who can come alongside us and encourage us and pick us up or maybe even head us off before we make the disastrous moves. And we need many more people willing to consider gospel ministry in that way. Uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter 10 verse 2, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And I thank God that Charlotte Chapel wants to play its part in raising up gospel workers and sending them out. I've heard some people ask the question, well, why do we need more pastoral staff at Charlotte Chapel? Surely we've got enough. Why do we need more people on the staff? And I want to give you four reasons why, off the back of this Apprenticeship of Timothy. Firstly, staff members grow ministry. They grow discipleship. They advance the gospel here in this congregation. Secondly, a team ministry is always better than a solo ministry. I am incredibly limited. You're going to find that out more and more as the years go on. And, and, and the blessing of team ministry is it helps a bunch of limited people do more together. We cover each other's weaknesses. We, we play to each other's strengths. Team ministry does that. And you know, it is out of teams that people are trained, just as Timothy was trained alongside Paul in his missionary journeys and in his ministry. It is out of teams that people are trained and then can be sent out to spread the gospel and strengthen other churches and plant new churches. See, I think really uh, if, if our vision is wider than our own congregation at Charlotte, if our vision really is to see the gospel spread throughout Edinburgh and Scotland and the UK and Europe and the world, then we'll have to look beyond just what do we need to do pulpit supply at Charlotte? What will we need to just uh, do more that, you know, to cover the hatch match and dispatch business? Now, we, we, we'll be having a vision that is a worldwide vision that is willing to commit to putting money and support and encouragement to raising up many more gospel workers and doing that through a team ministry here at Charlotte. You know, both uh, Rodney and uh, David Armstrong went with their wives in the last week or so to visit Colin and Nikki Adams and both report how well Colin is getting on in his first job as a senior pastor and how encouraged the church is there by having him there uh, as their pastor and as a church, you should be encouraged, I think, to see that your investment into their lives um, is, is bearing fruit and blessing. The, the, the work that Peter has done, getting alongside Colin, Peter Granger, that, that that is bearing fruit now in Northern Ireland. There is an encouraged church. There is a, is a man who's now ready to step up as a senior minister. And you've played a, a crucial part in that. So thank you. Well done, Charlotte. Well done. And uh, I have to tell you, I'm really encouraged that Andy Prime has wanted to come back to Charlotte. I am very surprised, quite frankly, 
Um, I've kept telling him he could get better training from other men, but uh, I, I'm thrilled that uh, Andy has wanted to come back. I'm thrilled that we've been willing to offer him an assistance job. And um, you're going to play a crucial part in praying, supporting, encouraging him as we together try and help Andy grow as a gospel minister. And who knows what the Lord will do through him, through his life. See, this is how useful people are formed, isn't it? Through ministry apprenticeships, through getting involved in ministry. It's not just about pastors, it's at every single level. Every single level of involvement in our church life, you'll grow ministry skills and grow to be a useful gospel partner by getting involved. Now, the Philippian church knew the track record of Timothy. He proved himself over and over again as a man who faithfully served in the work of the gospel. And in that, he was not only just being like Paul, the apostle, but also he was being like Jesus. He uses that phrase, a servant. Well, isn't that exactly the description that Paul has used earlier of the Lord Jesus, who humbled himself, the God of glory, humbling himself to become a servant? See, Timothy is being just like his Lord in his way that he is working to serve others. And when you see people like that, emulate them. Emulate them. And not only would they have Timothy to look at, but Paul also writes to commend Epaphroditus as he sends him back to him. Now, from his name, he was obviously not born into a nice Christian family. Uh, Aphrodite was one of the pagan goddesses. So this is a guy from a pagan Gentile background who's heard the gospel, he's got saved, he's become uh, fully involved in the life of this church. He's become a trusted man in that church. He was the one that the church appointed to, to, to send a significant gift of money and bring it to Paul in prison. Not a day of visa cards and debit cards and uh, wire bank transfers, not even short flights. Long journeys, lengthy journeys on your own, carrying a lot of money on dangerous roads. That is a risky business, isn't it? And you need a trustworthy guy. that He wouldn't just pop down to Rome and spend it all on himself. No, but Epaphroditus, they could trust him. And he had courage. And a task that seems quite simple was actually a big gospel task. We need to encourage Paul. Epaphroditus, will you go? I'll go. I'll drop my job, I'll drop what I'm doing, and I'll go. I'll go and do this. And Epaphroditus did that. And not only was he a, a, a good guy for practical things when he got there, he was clearly a great encouragement to Paul. Look at the description in verse 25. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who's also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. There's just great warmth in those descriptions, isn't there? Soldiers say that it's when you go into conflict together and as you work as a team under fire, that's when great friendships and loyalties grow. Well, that's Paul's experience with Epaphroditus. As, 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 as he saw Epaphroditus do that, as, Paul, as he came alongside Paul and encouraged him, a tough thing to identify yourself with a prisoner, to keep coming in and out. But Epaphroditus was willing to do that. And Paul has great warmth and love for them as he is engaged in this gospel ministry. And I wonder, uh, is there anyone here sitting in Charlotte Chapel this morning and you're feeling lonely and disconnected? And you're saying, oh, I'm going to give up on this church. It's not very friendly. Well, what I want to say to you today 
is get stuck into some ministry in the congregation. Um, serve in one of the teams. We've got many teams. Have you seen the notices? We've got lots of teams and opportunities. Get involved with a fellowship group. Go up to one of the people that you see serving in the church and ask them how you could help. You'll have to pick them up off the floor with excitement. Put them back on their feet and say, yes, how can I help? How can I serve? What can I do? Do you know, find ways that you can invest your time, your energy, your finances in the spread of the gospel here. And then, my friends, as you do that, you will not be lonely. You will not be disconnected. It is when we engage in Christian ministry side by side together as we reach out with the gospel, as we seek to build up his church with the gospel, as we send people out with the gospel, that we will grow warm, affectionate relationships together um, as we feel part of what's going on. That's how you do it. Don't wait till someone approaches you. Come on in. Ask how you can help. There's plenty that needs to be done, I can assure you. And as Paul sends Epaphroditus back, he wants to commend him to them, to the church in Philippi, as someone who's got a proven track record of enduring hard times for the sake of the gospel. Look at verse 26. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. And look at verse 30. He almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. We don't know what happened. Maybe it was even simply taking this trip to see Paul that got him some infection, some disease, that he quite possibly would not have got if he'd stayed back home safely in Philippi. And here's the amazing character of this man. What's he anxious about? He's not anxious about the fact that he could have died. He's anxious and distressed about the thought that news of his illness would would cause them anxiety, would cause them worry as a church. That's what was uh, concerning Epaphroditus. Because here is another person who's other person centered. Even as he's almost dying. Oh, they're going to hate that. They're going to be so upset at home. You know, be quiet, be still there. Just get better. Paradites. <laughs> well, that sort of man he was. Here was another leader who was imitating the life of Christ. Christ humbles himself, even to death on a cross. Now, here's Epaphroditus. His, his service of Christ led him to almost the very door of death. He was willing to do that. But in this situation, Epaphroditus was spared that. And I think we need these verses to balance Paul's statement earlier in the letter. Do you remember what we looked at back at chapter 1, verse 21? It's a, it's a wonderful statement. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And we we, we spent some time thinking about that. And we understand exactly what Paul was saying in a positive way. But we made it clear then that this is not a statement that encourages or ever legitimates suicide. And here we can see that counterbalanced in in chapter 2, verse 27. 
that Epaphroditus regaining health from death's door was because of God's mercy. And that such a thing spared Paul sorrow upon sorrow. We need this balanced understanding as Christians. We never seek death. To die is better, to be with Christ. And we should never hold our lives so tightly that we're not willing to expend our lives for the good of others and for the spread of the gospel. And yet life is a blessing from God. God shows mercy to grant him more time. He, he saves Paul's sorrow. He saves the church's sorrow. It's a blessing to have Epaphroditus around. It'll be a blessing to have you all around as long as you can be around if you're serving here faithfully at Charlotte. And we need this balanced understanding. And as we look for people to model our lives on, we should look to emulate those who have a track record of enduring hardship and trials for the sake of the gospel, and yet they have persevered. Look for people like that to shape your life on. And thirdly, we should honor such leaders. Look at verse 29. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Well, I want to honor Epaphroditus today. Epaphroditus did a great job, didn't he? He got the letter. He got it back to the church in Philippians. And uh, he hung it on, hung to it, and he got it to somebody else. And that's the reason we've got it in our Bibles today. So Epaphroditus did a terrific job. Thank you, Epaphroditus. We're so glad to have this book. It's certainly enriched the uh, last few weeks for me, hopefully for you as a church, to have this very book. This act of, of humble service, of, of in a sense going with some money, coming back with a letter, is the way that Epaphroditus worshipped God. It's an act of worship. The language that Paul uses here of service in the original language is, is the category of religious service done to God. In the Old Testament, the Septuagint, the Greek one, this word was used exclusively of priests serving in the temple. And yet now in the light of Christ, where we're all priests, the whole of life can be an act of worship. And Epaphroditus in these humble and simple tasks and courageous tasks, he was worshipping God. And, and, and Paul says, honor worshippers like that. May not be able to sing a note, maybe not be able to play an instrument, but he's a great worshipper of God as he humbly and bravely did this wonderful thing of serving Paul and serving the church in that way. And the Philippian church needed to emulate Epaphroditus and Timothy to learn to humbly serve each other in the, in the way that they were showing it. Now this is something that we need to keep learning as a church. I've said it in the past, and sadly it's true. It doesn't matter how sanctified I go to bed at night, I wake up in the morning a proud and selfish person and I require to be reminded by God's word again to live my life for Christ and for others that's why daily readings are so important order the book notes just read the Bible it's so important each day to do that we need to be daily reminded and it's so good to have people to look at who model this some people have understood this well lives well lived for the spread of the gospel and serving others they are other people centered through trials and hardships. And I'm asking, does that describe you and me today? 
Does that describe us? You know, I know it describes many here today. And as I've spoken this morning, I'm sure you've already been thinking of people who exactly model this, haven't you? As I've described these characteristics, you're thinking, yes, that's what they're like. And I want to say today, from God's word, resolve to make a special effort to observe these lives, get close to these lives, get close to these people, learn from them, serve alongside them, emulate such leaders. It's right that we should honor men and women like that. We should receive them with great joy as servants of Christ. Um, I'll say this because they're not here, they're on a trip. But uh, it seems quite clear to me that David and Chris Dennis are just a couple just like this, aren't they? I I want to honor them. I'll do it in their absence. Uh, In a very short time I've been here, it seems to me that they're wonderful examples of what we're talking about. And we have many such people in our congregation. As I've talked to people uh, at at Charlotte Chapel and asked them, who's influenced them? Who's who's encouraged them? Who's strengthened them as they've been a part of Charlotte Chapel? And there's certain names have kept popping up. And this will embarrass them, but uh, Scripture says, honor such men. But names such as Ian Finlayson and Alec Cameron and Bill Dowell. Over and over again, I hear these names. These people have encouraged and strengthened and and encouraged towards ministry. And my friends, of course, there are many more here that I'm not going to mention. Having only been here for three months in this role, I want to honor Peter Granger, who did it for 17 years. What a terrific achievement. Faithfully preaching and serving with Nita for 17 years, I think. And before that, Derek Prime. Well, I tell you what, I want to honor these men. Week in, week out. Do you know what? You come up these stairs and you see people worshiping God. Worshiping God by welcoming you. By serving you tea and coffee. By um, setting up the PA system. By duplicating DVDs. By managing the website. By doing 101 different jobs. You are seeing people worshiping God. Do you realize that you're serving in that way? That that's what you're doing? You're worshiping God. These are lives that are worthy of the gospel. Thank you. Can I encourage us all to to look to those people and seek God's grace to be like them? Let's pray, shall we?